Let's go. CommonwealthSportsTalk.com. Give me that work. Okay. Welcome to Commonwealth Sports Talk. I'm your host, Joe Dillard, bringing you another episode as we have season five, episode four, as we bring you Maurice Pierce, Hampton University Director of Track and Field. How you doing, Coach? Good morning, man. I'm doing fine. Everything is well. Another day in the grind. <laughs> I see you in the grind factory there ready to work, huh? Man, I'm in the grind factory. <laughs> I grind. I Listen, I grind every day. So, every day. So it's like. Listen, people see me in the office with the door shut at nine o'clock grinding. Hey, man, ain't nothing better than that. I mean, we talking over 30 years of a track life, so you know what it takes to produce. So if it's a full year grind, take me through that, man. How how essential is it for off-season work? See, people always look at the, the results, the numbers, the, you know, the, 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 the fame. Talk, talk to me about that off-season workout and how essential it is for an athlete. You know, when I was, I was talking to my assistant coaches the other day, and one of them is new. Mm -hmm. he's, well, he's not, well, it's been a whole year now, but he started in September. So he, don't, he, don't know the, he didn't know the summer grind. Mm -hmm. And he said, he said, Coach P, he said, man, the, what we do in the summertime is, is makes us more tired. It's more work than when we're in season. And I was like, yeah, man, the grind is in the summer because the summer you got to prepare for the fall, the fall you got to prepare for the season, but the nuts and bolts of it is the summertime because we, you know, we finalize some recruiting, and at the same time, still trying to recruit some 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 gyms that's sitting out there. Yeah, but we are preparing, so we got to do budgets, we got to do strategic planning, um, we got to get through summer school, we got to order equipment, man, so much stuff that goes on in the month of July to prepare kids to come back in August, it's, it's unreal. And that's some of that director title that you're hosting, fedagling and, and, and pulling the string on everything from recruiting, training, um, to mm -hmm. preparation for the upcoming year. Um, talk to me about that role. Is, is that something you foresee yourself uh, doing from the past or you kind of walked into it, like director of track and field, take me through that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what, for so, for so long, I was just um, the women's coach. Yeah. But I, you know, I had my hand involved with, with the, uh, let me turn this camera. Fine. All right. Can you see? Yeah, we good. Okay. For so long, but, you know, I, I coached the women for a long time. And, but for so long, also, I had my, 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 my foot on the other side of the track helping with the men. 
Mm-hmm. I, I always helped with the men's sprinters. And I always had great professional men sprinters and hurdlers. Mm-hmm. And so during my time here at Hampton, you know, we had a we had an abundance of success on the women's side. Yes. And unfortunately, the, the men's team had like a kind of like a revolving door of, of, of head coaches. They went through a period where they might have had like four head coaches in like an eight-year period or something. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of it was kind of crazy. So the university always thought about combining the program, mm-hmm. um, but they couldn't ever logistically put it together. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was, you know, I was satisfied coaching the, the women. You know, I was having success. So I was like, I don't, I don't need a double headache. So, <laughs> so yeah, people so know about all, that in yeah. that world. So they put all the pieces together, and. Um, we finally was able to come to an agreement. And at that time, you know, instead of just moving over and making it to say you the head coach, about 10 years ago, everybody had like these fancy titles. They, they yeah. were making people, it was like director of track and field. So I said, if, you, if you're going to give me the fancy title, then you're going to have to pay me for that fancy title because that's yeah. going to require work now. So, so, <laughs> and then most, most people, when they get the director title, they're either like transitioning to administration or they're, they're on their way out the retirement or something you don't really sign a young person with the title of director mm-hmm. so so no I, I took it and we ran with it and we I think we had some success with it um but I, I like it to answer your question I, I like it because I've always seen myself as a director and I think I have good um leadership skills so probably I'll take this director of the program and probably one day try to be the director of athletics that's how that transitions. I like that because yeah. what most people don't realize is collegiate sports is a job. And so it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's one thing to have that as a job, but with track, it's just a little bit different. There really mm-hmm. technically is no off season. No. I mean, we talking about this summer and yeah, that's cool. But when we come back in August for school, cross country season starts and your director starts already. So you go from mm-hmm. cross country to indoor to outdoor. And so mm-hmm. that's three different coaches in some programs. You know, mm-hmm. some programs in college have three different coaches for each season or they split it up so much. And mm-hmm. so having a director of track and field, I thought was amazing seeing that title because you don't see that too often. You know, some when I, I went to Virginia State, Andre Moore, great coach. He coached mm-hmm. women and yeah. the men mm-hmm. and he had to handle that double headache you was talking about. So yeah. every program is totally different. And, and that director role, I just love it. I love it. So this is your eighth going on ninth year as the director. Am I correct? Yes. Correct. Ninth, ninth year. Ninth year coming up. Correct. So talk to me a little bit about that transition to the Big South. I mean, we're talking like, <laughs> I don't want to use the word dominated, but you were consistently in the headline during the yeah. MEAC run with the women. I'm talking four cross country titles, 12 indoor, 10 outdoor. But when it transitioned over to the Big South, how, how did that work for you and your athletes? It worked out in our advantage. Mm-hmm. Let me tell you, I'm telling you why, because you're, you're a track guy, so you know how track works. Absolutely. And we always had a, a balanced team in the MEAC. People always thought that we were just sprint heavy. Well, we were sprint heavy, but to win a championship, you got to have balance. got to have balance. And so the unsung heroes were the ones that helped us win the Big South when we first got there. Because we just took what we already, the formula and the program we already had in the MEAC, we just took it straight over to the Big South. And we saw some holes that we could fill in the Big South immediately. Mm-hmm. And get a lot and get a lot of points absolutely um, and so we took advantage of of some of the weaknesses of, of some of the big south schools 
turtling one of them. Yeah, <laughs> I knew it. So, yeah, yeah. I'm, so hurtling. hurtling I'm a college hurdler, so I always yeah. got to stand out for our hurdlers. Yeah. So hurtling was the um, it was a it was like an open hole. It was like an open street. <laughs> so yes. I put every I put everybody in the hurdles. Everybody getting it. We maxing out. Yeah. So, but it was cool. You know, we um, we won the first four championships. Um, men and women indoor, men and women outdoor. And then the following year, people forgot this though. The following year, which was year two in the Big South, we only did indoor track. Yep. Because remember the pandemic came and shut, shut the world down. down. But we also still came in second place at the, at the championship. We had some young ladies get hurt, but we still came in second place. And I was looking forward to that outdoor season. I knew we was going to go back and win again. Mm-hmm. So that, then we didn't compete for a whole year. Yes. Remember Hampton, we didn't bring anybody back at Hampton. Yep. So we, we were stuck in the hole for a year. So I hadn't seen my team for like a year and a half. And so at this year's championship, I think we still did good. We came in third again. So we, we, we won the first four championships. Then Indo, we came in second. Second. Then we did compete for a year. Then we come back and we're still finishing the top third and top three. Yeah. So we had a good little run in, in the, um, I'd call it a two and a half year run. We had a great two and a half year run in the Big South. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. So, like, that's that's the thing that most coaches don't understand. And you said I'm a track guy, so I understand. But I'll articulate a little more to the crowd. That That is called filling gaps. So, usually yeah. a lot of programs, districts, counties, however you want to go from high school to college, may not have a good event where it's loaded. Yeah. And if you find that weakness and train it and make them strong, you put four in there, you can go one, two, three, four and take almost 30 points. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, hurdling is a great example where a lot of kids and I'm going to double down and go to high school where high schoolers do not want to try hurdling. So yeah. when you can when you can prove that you're a hurdling program, then you're taking five, six to the districts and other teams only have one or two. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I definitely understand finding your niche within the conference. And so that, that was key and big. Yeah. Talk to me about some of the uh, consistency that has been produced over 20 years with you. I mean, I'm, I'm talking about, man, like you're just a modeled citizen in the track and field world. You stayed relevant every time you had a chance, you make the most of it. Talk to me about how consistency has been so key for you. Well, you know, that's, 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 that's all I know. You know, we um, I, I, we pride ourselves on being like the, the the best. No, but I always said, once you got a consistent program, that even in a rough year, you'll finish on the podium. You'll finish in the top three. Mm-hmm. And so our consistency was that we had a standard, and we still got the same standard. Um, that it's a standard of excellence. We piggyback on the university's model, standard of excellence. Standard of excellence. And so, so. Everybody we recruit, everybody's on my coaching staff understand that you're walking into a situation where there's the standard is extremely, extremely, extremely high. Um, the expectation is not so high that you can't reach it, but the standard is extremely high. Absolutely. Um, and so we live by that standard. I recruit according to that standard. I operate according to that standard. Um, I don't waver from it. Um, I'm getting older, but that means I got to get better. And okay. I, expect the, I expect the staff to get better. So I don't, I don't, I've, I've changed it according to like the culture of kids. Yeah. Some things you got to do and some things I couldn't, some things I got to do now that I, I didn't do when I was four, 10, 12 years ago. 
And so I just I just figured a new way to get some stuff done with the kids. Yeah. Um, because they're a little they're a little different, but you just got to work around it. But the key to it is is that as long as you still have your quality yeah. standards, core values, and your discipline, mm-hmm. and everything else to take take care of itself. I love that, Coach. Core values and discipline. And I'm mm-hmm. telling you, man, you you to. <laughs> I, it's taken lightly. College coaches' life shelf is about seven years, and I don't care. You, all yeah. sports, you know, basketball, football, mm-hmm. track, any of them. Lifespan is seven years max, and that's having a great seven years. So to double it and to continue mm-hmm. going, you know, kudos to you and sh- big shout out to you, Coach, with that. How important is it? And we talked a little bit about off season, so this may slide right into it. But how important is it to catch the process of peaking with an athlete, like? catching the athlete's peak time and having it happen around championship time or, or national time instead of it happening early. How do you manage trying to control the peak periods of your athletes? Well, you know, we, we've had a consistent um, over the years um, and things that we do in our fall training. We train in the fall. I think our fall training is probably harder than in-season training. Mm-hmm. Um, so we really go to war and there's a whole lot of battling the scars during the fall time, um, to, to be able to set our team up to peak at the championship and at the postseason. And so we also continue to train hard through the indoor season. Absolutely. Like we don't, we don't, we don't back off. Um, we got, we got to back off sometime for like hurdlers and people that run the 60, but everybody else, we still grinding, hitting it hard, hitting it hard. So kind of like, we go through a hard fall training, but we also go through a hard winter season. Makes sense. Um, to, to put us in a situation where we peak in right at the right time and use the right time championship season. People going the cream of the crop gonna run fast on the weekends. Correct. You know, the, the talented ones gonna roll. So we, we know that. And um, you know, and, and we don't look at it as like, you know, this person's running too fast. No, that's that's their talent level just showing up. But we just, on Monday, on Monday, we're gonna go back in the garage and keep on loading up. Fine you know, absolutely. Yeah, we're gonna keep on loading up. And you know, also because we do it that way, those underdeveloped kids and the ones that we're developing, they show up at the right time too. Yes. They, their talent level matches everybody else's talent level at the championship. And it also protects us from a whole lot of injuries. Mm. Um, because if so? I just because if because we, we we continue to load up in the weight room, we do a whole lot of heel work. Um, uncon- well, not unconditional stuff, old school stuff. We do a lot of heel work, a lot of sled pulls. We do a whole lot of weightlifting. Yes. Um, and we do you know our sprinters, they run 400, they run four by fours. So, yeah. you know, I do stuff to keep, you know, to make sure sprinters and hurdlers continue to stay healthy because I don't have to be the, I don't have to be the fastest team on the weekend. I just got to be the fastest. Hold on. You're good. Okay. I don't, I don't have to be the fastest team on, on the weekend. I need to, I just need to be the fastest team at the championship. Correct. And that's, that, that's exactly where I was going about the process of peaking because you said it. Sprinters going to sprint or the, or the Blazers are going to be there on the weekend. Yeah. But to bring everybody together and yeah. peak at championship day weekend, that, that's essential. And you said it. A rough year is third. And, and you know, I'm only quoting you in a rough year is third. Yeah. So if we go back, you know, this past year after a pandemic, that was considered a rough year. So yeah, you want to have that drive coming in this off-season, summer, fall training. So mm-hmm. I'm catching you right in the middle of this peak, or not peak per se, but this grind getting ready for this upcoming season. So talk to me about, like, do you think that 
do you think that the drive is just as desired now, 20 something years later than it was back when you first started? I know you said you have to be better. Better's good. But the drive, do you do you feel that you wake up getting ready for that drive every day? Like, how, how do you carry yourself? Well, two, two parts to that. Yes and no. Because at one time I was just I was driving, driving, driving. I was I was hard. I was going, 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 going. And then when the university started um, realignment and moving and talking about going to other conferences and you know you gotta you gotta like the drive you gotta be like it, it goes into neutral a little bit yeah because you, you say wait a minute I don't want to keep just hitting this accelerator and getting mm-hmm. these kids ready or recruiting a certain type of kid. Mm-hmm. Whereas I need another type of kid in the new conference. And so for the last, I would say last four years, and even our last year in the MEAC, because it was already talk that we was leaving, mm-hmm. um, we, we got, um, we didn't get complacent, um, but I think we got a little comfortable in that one, that one year. And we, we were still successful, but the, the drive wasn't there. And the drive was just on neutral the yep. last two, three years. Um, so now we we downshifted. We back on the drive. We went from fourth to fifth gear. We <laughs> so the drive. I'm reinventing myself. I'm 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 driving back in the fast lane, and um we 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 gonna hit it hard. I love it. Yeah, I love that. See, and that's that's the thing. They say it in this manner where everybody understands negativity or criticism or media viewpoint always gives that star athlete their drive, their reason, their being. But if you are self-inflicted with that, if you can find yeah. a reason to evaluate yourself and then yeah. re-hit the board, because as you said, yeah. it didn't hit you upside the head. You knew no. years walking in that you was going to have to reinvent yourself. And a lot of yep. people don't do that when they've had success and mm-hmm. haven't had to, you know what I mean? You have success, why change it? And so yeah. I commend you for continuing to evolve and be relatable to the co- to the kids these days, because that's usually why a coach finishes his tenure he just gotta yeah. have the heartbeat of the program and if yeah, you don't yeah. have the heartbeat of the program you're you're gonna find yourself in a lot of hot seat situations so mm-hmm. man um business as usual that's what i said i wrote that down with you i said business as usual this is what i got from this guy. like yeah. every day is business so yeah talk, so what was the what, what the pan am junior olympics talk to me about that experience for you on a personal level like how 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 or let me rewind that i want you to mention that as well but tell me when did you say wow this track world has really opened up everything for me like when did that really initially hit for you well it happened way back in 2000 when 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 james carter made the olympic team in the 400 meter hurdles james yes and um james made the team and I was already familiar with big time athletics and world-class athletes because I came through an era at Norfolk State in the late 90s when we had an abundance of world-class sprinters come through there. And they were all my all my friends. And so I was I was starting to get the itch and the awareness of how this professional thing really works and opened up some doors. Mm-hmm. But then I got a hold of James um, by default, uh, my first year here at Hampton. And so when James made the team, you know, it's like, it's like <laughs> move from one neighborhood to another neighborhood. 
<laughs> you didn't know these. You didn't know these nice neighborhoods existed. Exactly. <laughs> so, they got double gated like, communities. They got, they got a double gated got a gate to get in and a gate to yeah. get to the next neighborhood. <laughs> yeah, they, they got they got they got real bicycles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's so, a whole different speed, ain't it? <laughs> and so, uh, James Carter opened the door, um, and the world just opened up, and he just kept having success. Mm-hmm. And then just right after that, I just started picking up more people, more athletes who wanted to come train with me. And every professional athlete that I've ever had, they've either made the Olympic or World Championship team. And on those two teams, either they came back with a medal or they made the finals. Yes. Right. So, so now what happens is I was grinding real hard trying to get this gold medal or silver medal individually. So then USA Track and Field started saying, look, man, you, you need to be on some of these national teams. So I said, okay, but I don't want this to interrupt the ultimate goal. I got to get this kid on, 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 on the podium. They was like, nah, we can work it out. We'll start you off a small team so it won't interrupt you going to Europe and doing stuff with these other people. So the junior Pan Am thing worked itself out perfect. Mm-hmm. It, gave, it gave me a sense of do, well, I could make the decision whether or not I wanted to continue being on national staffs nice and um i liked it you know um and it was good that i started off on the juniors because it gave me an opportunity to understand how they operate and how those young world-class kids it was still kids but they were phenomenal athletes but just to see how they operate and how they moved around what age so group it, did you have so that those can know what the junior the junior team anybody under 18 correct I just had to yeah. let it be said because you can, you know, you can have a five-year-old out there. You can have yeah. a four-year-old out there yeah. as long as they're equipped to do what's necessary. Yeah. You're going to be coaching a four-year-old running. And one of my college track teammates, his son is four years old, and he just went down to Florida and made it to the finals in the hundred. So uh, yeah. my mind is blown for stuff like that. That's why I saw when you had Pan Olympics with the juniors, I'm like, yeah. You had to get some joy out of doing that on top oh. of it being a national stage. Like that's the win-win right there. You get the yeah, it was fun and a national stage. It was fun. And then they gave me the um the NACAC staff, North America, Central America, um, national team. Mm-hmm. And I, I did I was national, I was the head coach on that two times. And then I was the assistant coach on the world championship team in 2017 and 2019. And so um, those opportunities are like, um, priceless. They're priceless. It's like, it's like any other thing. It's like being on a USA basketball staff. Yes. You know what I mean? And it sets you apart of on the upper echelons of the, of the culture world. People look at you different and, you know, you get honored a whole lot. Um, and it's, it's a great respectability thing. And not, not a lot of people get to that, that level. And, um, I'm just going to try to see if I can keep it going, try to get on the next uh, Olympic staff or be the next world championship head coach. Absolutely. But I, but I, but I, I really do enjoy it. That's, that's um, half I, the battle. Yeah, and I've had some opportunities to be uh, on a national staff of some, um, internet, some foreign teams, some foreign countries. Nice. But I decided to back off, but I still coach the, the athletes. But I didn't want to. Well, see, once you join a foreign national staff, it takes you like two or three year gap years to come back and be on the USA staff. Yeah. So, so I didn't want I didn't want to interrupt all of that. Oh, that's very smart. Yeah. That's very smart. Perks. Like I, I'm I'm sitting here in awe listening to it. And, and I'm like, you you have yourself in a driver's seat position 
and you still find yourself hungry for more. Like I really love that approach. So I had the similar situation running at Virginia State, as you're familiar. We're, we're coming in. So I ran Virginia State for four years. And then this is like one of them grind your gear moments. We came in second in the CIAA all four years. Mm-hmm. I think you know why. Because we faced St. Aug. Yeah, yeah, the Aug, baby. <laughs> coached by a USA track and field coach. Yeah. And I'm 19, 20. You know, we're young. And in the back of my mind, all this is like formulating. And I'm like, how in the H-E double hockey sticks are we going against a USA track coach in, in Division <laughs> Two? It, it just started to mound. And I'm like, man. And so my sophomore year, you know, <laughs> he was, coach was great. But sophomore year, I ran against 21 and probably 22-year-old freshmen. <laughs> from <laughs> yeah. Yeah. From Ain't no problem. You did. <laughs> because he's got access to everything. And I'm like, well, this is a freshman. As soon as you think you won something, not coming seventh at conference. I'm like, oh, all conference, that's great. But three just graduated. I should be great now. And then <laughs> yeah. we bring three freshmen in. That's like 21, 22, and 20. I'm like, can't win. <laughs> that network is real. That's what I wanted to say about that. That network is real. And let me tell you something. Coaches take advantage of that, that network. You're supposed to, man. You're supposed to. Because yeah, if you, you don't, don't get the results, everybody above you is going to use that. So, you know, you'd be a fool not to. Yeah, ain't no question. Absolutely. So when did it all start for you? I'm going to run you back, see if the memory bank working. Did you run in middle school, high school? Like, when did you start running official, official? You know, was it at work, high school? When, when did you start running? I'm curious. You know what? I started running in the um, little bit in the like the, the seventh grade. Mm-hmm. And it was it was kind of like by default. We had like in Newport News, they never had uh, middle school sports. Correct. We always had soon, by the way. But mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. And I, and I told somebody I would help them, them with it. Um, but we always had outstanding rec league sports. Absolutely. You know, I was, a fo- I was a rec league football guy. You know, that, that's all I wanted to do. And I was already fast. And so they had these um. This um, guy, he said, man, we got a rec- we got a, a middle school team. You need to run track. And I was like, man, I, I, I'm not running no track. That's for slow people. I'm already fast. That's a great was answer for a kid. Hey, <laughs> that guy was a kid. I was, <laughs> he said, I'm already fast. I don't need no track. Yeah, that's for slow people. I don't need that. <laughs> when you get some fast people, let me know. <laughs> so... Then all my boys, you know, he's, he said, I know how to get him. So he got all my boys, and they was like, they're going to form this little team and stuff. They was like, man, you know, come to practice, check all this stuff out. I said, man, listen, I'm going to ride his bike all over Newport News when I get out of school, man. <laughs> running no track. <laughs> and so it just happened by default. You know, I ended up going to practice one time. I liked it. Um, I seen all these little girls out there, to be honest with you. <laughs> I was like, coach, when the next time y'all got practice? <laughs> <laughs> The boys so, don't get it. They don't get they it. Don't get. So they know. So I was locked in every sense. And so I did that. And then in the, um, in the eighth grade, a man was like, yo, man, you can run high school. You can run You can run JV track. And I was like, for real? He was like, yeah, you can do that. I said, okay, I'll do that then. So I ran in the eighth grade. And because um, in eighth grade, you can play JV football or JV track. And I was like, listen, man, okay, I'll do the track thing one more year. 
And then I'll just continue to try to be a rec league superstar with football. I ain't gonna, I ain't putting on the pads at Warwick High School yet until I have to. <laughs> so, <laughs> so anyway, so I, I flirted around with it in the eighth grade. Then the ninth grade it just took off. You know, I, football was all during my sport. But then yeah. I, you know, I felt I fell in love with track because you know the freedom of expression, the freedom of excitement, and doing your own thing. I just right. fell in love with track. And then that time, Hampton Newport News in the late '80s was like a a like a um, a great area for track and field. You know, I ran against some phenomenal people in high school and then on my team. So I did that all through high school with um, track and football. And I, you know what, I was I was a good football athlete, but I think I know what. And it's crazy. I practiced harder for track than I did for football. I know why. And kind of like, I'm going to tell you, like, Coach, I why? know why. Football, we got a helmet on, and it's 12 of us. Long right. as you're not the guy that gets done wrong. Yeah. But yeah, in track, right. you get in them blocks, and you yeah, come yeah. in third or fourth. Yeah, there's yeah. nobody else to talk to but yourself. No, man, I got a good reputation. I won't try to mess it up. <laughs> <laughs> coach, when you made your statement, I felt like as if I was your coach, I'd be like, son, you got to win every meet talking like that. Talk about so <laughs> I'm too fast for track, coach. I got to <laughs> tell me when you get a couple of faster guys and we yeah. can come out there and do something. <laughs> yes, I did that. All through, I did that through high school, man. And um, track and football was my thing, you know, growing up back then. That's, those are two sports everybody did. I didn't do a lot of summer track stuff. Mm-hmm. I did the little summer track thing maybe like 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 two times, mm-hmm. you know. And I had opportunity to run with some outstanding people. You know, they take the best kids around here, put them on a the team. But they say, you know, we're gonna take care of the expenses. But that ain't true. You know, you still you still gotta go. You still gotta get some money, or you gotta ask your mama. Yep. And my mama, she won't have it. Yep. My you mama gotta have a good this. plan when it comes to these extracurriculars. And my mama said running is free. <laughs> So, so I did a little summer track thing for like two summers. And then I used it really to prepare myself to get out the house, yes. stay out of trouble. Absolutely. And um, travel a little bit and get myself ready for football season. I know I'll be in tip-top shape. And then I went to Norfolk State. And I ran track at Norfolk State for two years. Because mm-hmm. I sat out my freshman year in 91. And then I ran it the next two years. And then I didn't have, I, I messed up my eligibility, to be honest with you. Um, I tell everybody this. I messed up my eligibility one season, um, so I, so I didn't run that year. And then by then, I'm in my fourth year in school, mm-hmm. so I'm like, "Yo, man, I got like a semester. I gotta get out of school." And they was like, "Yo, man, you know, you got another year of eligibility." I said, "Dog, I ain't running. <laughs> That's it. I'm done." Yeah. They, they said, "No, nah, you want to try it again?" So I said, "Okay, I'll try." So I tried to do indoor, and at that time, we had all these world class sprinters that we recruited to Norfolk State back in it's like '94, '95. <laughs> And now uh, they was they, they was flying around the track, right? Yep. These were world class guys coming out of junior college, and I was like, "Listen, man, I'm fast." But they took it to another level, and um, <laughs> so I, instead of me, you know, trying to make up for what I ain't done in a whole year, mm-hmm. and, and spend a whole year just chasing people around the track, I said, "Let me back up, man." So my man was like, "Yo, man, you need to run indoor, but all, the outdoor come on be one of the assistants, so we still pay for you to go to school." So I was student assistant in ninety spring of 96 smart man and, uh right and so he gave me a stopwatch then the women's track, track coach gave me a stopwatch i helped her out too so i was helping the, my man out on the men's side with his professional athletes during the daytime in the morning the men's track team in the afternoon 
in the women's track team in the late afternoon. And that was from 95 to 98, right? Yeah, so really it was like, yeah, 95 to 98. So in that mm-hmm. three-year period. And um, and so people were like, Maurice, why didn't you finish your last year in North State? I said, man, listen, I, I couldn't, I couldn't run fast no more. So <laughs> <laughs> and I listen, again, I've always protected my reputation. And I want people to know me when I was fast. Yeah. Not the new people that came in. It's like, man, he ain't fast. He, everybody talking about how Maurice Pitts was fast. He ain't fast. <laughs> hey, no, Coach, man. Coach, we in a small club of, of guys that's got one-year eligibility left. And yeah. we might have them dreams where you yeah. go back. <laughs> yeah. You go back and use that last year of eligibility in your dream. Only dreams, guys. Yeah, Only it's, dreams, it's, a, it's a dream. It, it don't work like that. Not it don't track. work like that. And, that nah. and I'm glad you said it that way because – my like my sophomore to junior year is when the light bulb clicked for me because my degree was in sport management and I and I would always say, well, we know there's no transition after this, so yeah. how do I want to transition? Yeah. And you know, I took a, I pulled back and started studying sports and just said, hey, you know, I want to coach. I only want to know what angles I can approach sports from outside of the athlete perspective. So you know, mm-hmm. it, it was it was that same type of realm feeling when. Yeah. Uh, the light bulb clicked and I'm like, I'm yeah. having dreams of, of one way or the other. I either come back and I'm getting yeah. dusted or I come back yeah. and I was like, dog, I should have been doing it because I ran the hurdles, mind you. Mm-hmm. So the mm-hmm. hurdles, you, you got a shot every year with the hurdles. It just depends yeah. on your form. Yep. And I'm like, oh man. So that that's interesting that you mentioned that. Yeah, I had to figure it out, man. You know, because so many people like, they just keep chasing, chasing, chasing. But I've always been a realist. I've always been a realist. Mm-hmm. I've always had a plan and I've always protected my, my reputation. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I said, I'm going to get in where I can fit in. You know? oh, and so, so that's how I just get, that's how I started. Coach. That's how I went from running to coaching. I love it. Yeah. Now I ain't going to talk about how you went from Norfolk state to Hampton because you at least have your wife who graduated from Hampton. And so you got some, somebody at home that reminds you, yeah, you made the best decision, right? there. <laughs> So I know you get I know you get picked with, with that, but I know it's tough to have that that separation that's necessary, essentially when you went to Norfolk State and now you're coaching at Hampton. Listen, man, <laughs> it was crazy because I'm a diehard Spartan, right? <laughs> right. Old. All right, listen, I'm I'm a Spartan all day, every day. And it was it was crazy that one year. See, that one year I left, I coached at the University of Maryland Eastern Shore for one year. Right. But I had recruited so many kids to Norfolk State, right? And I coached them for maybe one or two years. Then I couldn't coach them for a year, but it was cool because I was far away. I went to Maryland, even though that's so far, but I was outside. Mm-hmm. You know, I, was up, yeah. I, I was on the Eastern Shore. Mm-hmm. So it was cool. But then the following year, I came back home but, um, and took the job at Hampton by default. So then it became like a sticky situation. Because them same athletes that I recruited are over there. And the same people that are still working at Norfolk that know me, then I become like this trader. Like, Maurice, I can't believe you're working at Hampton. <laughs> like, Y'all ain't say nothing when I want to be East Shore. Well, they ain't care it's, about a that. Diff- it's different. Yeah. When I put on that blue and white board, man, you know, I, was, I had a target on my back. Yeah, Stop speaking to me. They would tell me, you better be him. And so <laughs> I, I, I had to live with that for like the first five, six years. That's right. Like, <laughs> your answer should have been the motto. Standard of excellence. Never excellent. I like it's different. <laughs> hey, it's, it's, it's a different standard on the other side of this tunnel. <laughs> now, y'all want to pay lies. me? 
And if y'all want to give me a check, I can't turn down. I'll come back over there. That's but. how half of that works, too. Yeah. That's how half of that works. You got to talk the right lingo. Yeah, but half of my family, I got a large percentage of my family that went to Hampton. Yeah. My, and- my daughter here now, I got some old aunts and uncles and relatives that went to Hampton, and I'm one of the few that, went, that became a Spartan. Oh, wow. And uh, Yeah, man. And it was because at the same time, back then, I was chasing football and basketball. I mean, football and track dreams. Mm-hmm. So Norfolk had a better situation where I could probably do both. Because at that time, um, Hampton was going through a transition when Joe Taylor was coming in here. And he took football to an extremely whole nother level back in the 90s. Tell him Jesus Christ. Joe. That Jesus. guy, I heard stories while I was a student at Virginia State about the, the great Joe Taylor. Like, there was some Man, great listen, stories. Joe Taylor, he's called Joe Taylor the monster. <laughs> I, listen, I pattern a lot of my my structure and things that I do off of from Joe Taylor. Joe Taylor had a run here at Hampton, and he it was a run that I don't think nobody else had again. It that was, was unbelievable. He was yeah. he was a great, he was a phenomenal guy. All of he was phenomenal coach. Great oh, guy, yeah, yeah. great guy, great phenomenal model. guy. Yeah, that's some, that's awesome, man. And, and so, you know, taking me full circle with that, you know, you, you've had the the list of Olympians you've coached. You've got a list of world champions you've coached, you know, salute and thank you for your time coach of coming on to Commonwealth sports talk. Like I really am humble and grateful to have your time. And we really had some good chat and might have to do this again. I ain't got no problem with that, man. Just let me know if it's PM or AM. Yeah. That's all we got to do. That's all we got to do. We got to be on the same court. That's it. Be uh, right, broken clocks right two two times a day. So, it depends. It just depends on when you look at it. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, I appreciate yeah, you, right. my man. Anytime, man. Just let me know. Um, anytime you me do something for you, talk. Just let me know. Absolutely. Thanks, and, uh, coach. When we get off this, um, I'll I'll, I'll email you my my cell phone number. You lock it in. That I'll need that. Absolutely. Okay. And we we'll keep right. going from there. I appreciate, appreciate you, man. You, I'm a um. I stopped.